that's all I got this morning. Good to see you guys. Happy Labor Day. And uh, we're going to turn it over to, to John. You know, he always says that when we have guest speakers and other people come up, they're always getting applause and, you know, people get so excited. And he's like, you know, this is, this is great. So why don't we, you know, let's put our hands together. Oh, that's all right. Thank appreciate, you. We appreciate the big dog, too. You know? I was away for three weeks. I had one person say, it's good to see you back. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. So, hey, there's a wonderful new couple here uh, this morning. I want to introduce to you, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Michael Chow. Where are you? Where are you? Let's stand up right over here. Here it is. <laughs> Married just last week in Memphis, Tennessee. There was about, I don't know, 12 or 15 of us that were out there uh, for the wedding. It was fantastic. We visited Graceland, which is a whole nother sermon that's uh, going to be coming your way. Moving experience. But uh, Mike and April, that was, uh, that was really, really fun. So uh, everybody congratulate them when you see them after church. All right. Um, starting a week from this Tuesday, which is September 14th, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to teach a Foundations of Christianity class. And here's the deal. What, this is what it's all about. For those of you who just want to, you know, understand a little bit more, what are the kind of the core beliefs about Christianity? What are, you know, what's Christianity to believe in? That's for you. For those of you who kind of know them, but uh, struggle with them and want to talk about them, discuss them, or even debate them, this class is also for you. We're keeping the numbers down in the class so we can have a lot of rich discussions. That's the best way to say it. And so we'll go for eight weeks on Tuesday night at the church office. And you just, I think there's an email address in the uh, blue bulletin there under that Foundations class. And just email that and we'll put your name on the list. That starts in a little more than a week. All right, this is our final month at Key Elementary School. We have been here almost 10 years. And we have been looking to leave and find another place to meet. Though we love it here, just that uh, we weren't wanting to do the multiple, multiple, multiple services. And so uh, we've been looking for like six years. And there's been no place. Some people say to me, well, why don't you just, you know, if you need another place, just move. Well, that's great. Where do you move to? I mean, literally, we have tried many, many, many places. And finally, and I got to the point where I said, it'd be a miracle if we ever leave Key School. And uh, actually, a long list of miracles have been piling up on us, which we will share with you before we leave here. But uh, starting the first Sunday in October, we will be at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. We will go back to two services, thank goodness, and we'll just do 9.30 and 11. So uh, we'll be talking more about that in the weeks ahead. Today, I want to talk about mysteries. I'll talk about mysteries. Daniel 2.28 simply says this. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And what I'm aware of is that all of us have a mystery in our lives. You have a mystery and I have a mystery. Some of us have multiple mysteries. Some of those mysteries are huge, enormous mysteries. Some of them are small. But every single one of us has something in our lives that keep us up from time to time that we're trying to figure out. For some of us, it's the mystery of God's will. We're just trying to figure out, God, what in the world is your will for my life? For some of us, it's the mystery of faith. We want to have faith. We just don't have it. We've never had it. And we look at people around us, and they've got faith. And we're thinking, well, they got faith. I don't have faith. Why can't I have it? I'm asking for faith, and I just can't seem to come faith, have faith when other people have it so easily. I prayed with somebody a few weeks ago, well, a couple months ago now, and this person really wanted to sense the presence of God. All kinds of people around them say they feel God's presence. This person wants to feel God's presence, yet they've been praying about it for years and years and years and never felt the presence of God. And it's a mystery to them. It's a mystery to them. Why not? Greg, when, I didn't know you were going to be here today. All right, stand up. Here we go, another married couple. Married last week on the beach of California, right? There they are. Oh, no, you can't. 
Oh. Still kissing you after a week of marriage. That is ass. That's awesome. Man, you threw me off my whole... Okay, I'm not going to have you preach today, but uh, you can sit down. But it's great to have you. That threw me off my whole train of thought. All right, what was I talking about? Uh, mysteries. So, you know, for some of us, our careers are a mystery. For some of us, parenting is a mystery. For some of us, have health issues, and that's a mystery to us. For some of us, there's been long, you know, long years of family problems and issues, and that is a mystery. Some of us deal with addictions. It's a mystery to us why we can't break them. We have lots of mysteries before us. And some of those mysteries keep us awake at night. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And what we're going to see here in Daniel's chapter 1 and 2 is there's not a clear cut written in Daniel. says, okay, do X, Y, and Z and your mystery is revealed. You will not find that. But you can find clues in the book of Daniel. That what did Daniel do that he was revealed to him mysteries from God? What did he do? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, represented in this room this morning are many, many mysteries. Mysteries of life. We're trying to understand things, spiritual things like faith and your presence and what is your will. We're trying to understand practical things like what direction do I go in my life? Where do I go to school? What do I study in school? Uh, where do I go with my career? What do you want me to focus on? Should I get married? Should I get married? Why aren't I married? All kinds of stuff like that, God. Lord, this morning, meet with us here and reveal mysteries to us. Make known to us these mysteries. and Help us to walk out of this place this morning feeling like we're on a little more solid ground than when we walked in. In Christ's name. Amen. What I'd like to do for just a few moments is really briefly go through just Daniel's chapters 1 and 2. Quick, quick overview. The entire book of Daniel Daniel is an awesome, awesome book and should be, should be read and studied. There are more fulfilled prophecies in the book of Daniel than any other book in the entire Old Testament. So you get a lot of great stories like Daniel in the lion's den, and then you get these prophecies of future events, some that have already been fulfilled, some that will be fulfilled in the future. So here's what happened. In 605 B.C., uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes in and he, uh, he does not crush Jerusalem, but he takes it underneath of his control. Babylon was the reigning world power in 605 B.C. And they were just running over all that entire region. They were the superpower of the day, modern-day Iraq. They were the superpower of the day. And they come into Jerusalem, and what they do is, is they take the best and the brightest. And Daniel was a part of that, that wave. There were three waves coming out of Jerusalem. The first one was 605, the second one was 597, and the final one was in 586 when they came in and just leveled the entire city because they were fed up with it. So they come in in this first wave, they take the best and the brightest, take Daniel, take a bunch of other people, they take them back to Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, here is his philosophy as he begins to just kind of rule and reign over that entire region. He goes into all these countries that he dominates, and he takes the best and brightest of those people that are in those countries, and he says, I'm going to use you in my kingdom, the best and the brightest. And he sends them into a three-year school where he indoctrinates them on his way of doing things, on the Babylonian way of doing things. And then when you come out of that, he interviews whoever ends up in the top of the class. He personally interviews them and he selects people to work in his kingdom and in his palace. And so here you got these exiles, Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And they're chosen to be a part of this with a lot of other people. And they're put in this three-year school. 
And part of this school, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to give him the best of everything, the best food, the best education. And a part of the food deal was is they would eat from the king's table. They would eat the best of the best food. Now, that was a problem for Daniel. We're going to get into that more in just a few moments. But that food was not on the accepted list of what they should be eating. And it, it was food that had been sacrificed to idols. And so Daniel says, you know, we can't, we can't eat that food. Well, I'll cover that in just a few moments. But they get through the food crisis. And then when Dan, Daniel chapter 2 opens up, what you see is King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, a very disturbing dream that he could not sleep at night. Actually, it says he had dreams. He had multiple dreams. So we don't know if it was the same dream over and over again or different dreams that were similar in what they were trying to communicate. But he perceived that this dream he was having meant something very important. It meant something important to his kingdom and it meant something very important for the future. And so he calls... All of these magi, what they're called, they're astrologers, they're magicians, they're dream interpreters, they're the wisest and the smartest of the people. They're the people that are in the same, uh, they have already graduated from the same school that Daniel is going through. The man like the, the, the wise men of the city. He calls them in, middle of the night, the leaders, and he says, look, I've had this dream and it's really important that I get interpretation on it. And if you can tell me the interpretation of the dream, riches, glory, and honor are all yours. However, as a motivation, if you can't tell me the interpretation of the dream, we are going to cut you limb from limb. We're going to tear down your houses and use them as public restrooms. Okay? Strong motivation. Now, they would, they would dismember people two different ways back in King Nebuchadnezzar's day. First of all, they'd just take a sword and they'd cut them up. But the other way, which was a little more creative, is they would take four very big trees, powerful trees, and they would tie the trees together, and then they would take the arms and the legs of the person they were going to dismember, and they'd tie each arm, you know, arm to a tree, arm to another tree, leg, leg, and they would let the trees go. Can you imagine the sight? As a person, so this was tremendous motivation to figure out what in the world this dream meant. And these wise men, they look at the king and they say, King, wait a minute. No, no king has ever asked anything, anything of the Magi to do this. I mean, are you serious? No, nobody can do this. He says, look, you either do it or you die and you die today. So they finally say, you know, we don't have a hope. We don't have a prayer. We can't do this. He blows his stuff. He says, kill them all. Just don't kill these guys. Kill the entire school, which involves Daniel and his three friends. So, all of a sudden, Daniel's door is getting beaten down, and in walks this guy with all kinds of uh, army people with him, and they drag Daniel off, and Daniel just happens to say to the guy as they're dragging him off to the trees, uh, could you tell me why you're going to dismember me? The guy tells him the story about the dream and all this, and he says, well, he said, could you, you know, could you take me to the king? I, I have something I'd like to say to him. He goes to the king and says, King, uh, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to give you the interpretation. What else is he going to say? I'm going to give you the interpretation of this dream. Just give me a little bit of time. I'll figure this thing out. So the king says, okay. So he gives him time. Daniel gathers his friends, a lot of motivation. He says, you know, we've got something to really, if you didn't have anything to pray about before, you have something to pray about now. Uh, let's really get serious. He says, they plead with God. Please, could you give us? Not only the dream, but also its interpretation, which is the big deal. What was the dream in the first place? So they pray and pray. And in the middle of the night, God gives Daniel a vision. It's a vision of the dream. And along with the vision of the dream, he gives him the interpretation. He gets up. He praises God. His friends praise God. They're all praising God. You know, this is fantastic. He said, God, we have prayed to you and you have answered. He says to this guy, his name is Arioch. He says, Arioch. Take me to the king. And that was really cool. Ariok goes into the king. He says, King, 
I have found somebody who can interpret the dream for you. He takes all the credit himself. I found the person. The king says, bring him in. He tells the king the dream. Here it is. It's on your blue sheet or it's up on the screen over here. He says this in Daniel 2.31. He says, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It was struck, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel goes on after telling him, you know, the king's like, he's blown away, can't believe it. He told him what he dreamed. He says, now I'm going to tell you the interpretation of the dream. He says, what you saw was four kingdoms, actually five kingdoms. The statue is made up of four kingdoms. The top is made of gold, and that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon, pure gold. The rule and reigning power, the superpower of the day, that is you. But there's coming an inferior kingdom to yours, a kingdom of silver, which is going to dethrone you, and it's going to take over. That kingdom is the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Seventy years after Daniel gives this interpretation, the Medes and the Persians, sure enough, according to Daniel's words, rise up and they take over and they overpower Babylon. But after that would come a kingdom of bronze, kingdom of bronze who would rule and reign the world, who would take over and become the superpower over top of the Medes and Persians. And the kingdom of bronze was Alexander the Great and the Greeks. But he says it goes on. There will come a kingdom of iron. Now, you notice this. The statue, it starts out with the most valuable of metals, gold, silver, bronze, iron, but also the metals become stronger as they go down. The value drops, but the strength of them increases. The final kingdom is a kingdom of iron. What kingdom can you think of that ruled and reigned with iron, who had a mighty, mighty military machine that ruled the world for hundreds of years? Rome. And there will come a kingdom, kingdom of Rome, who's partly iron and partly baked clay, and they would rule and reign. But eventually a kingdom would come, a fifth kingdom, a kingdom that was not made by human hands, a kingdom that all of a sudden appeared out of a mountain. And this kingdom would rule and reign forever, and it would crush all the previous kingdoms, and this kingdom would have no end. And that kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Daniel prophesies the future and what is to come. When the king hears this, the king, the great king who bows down to nobody, great king Nebuchadnezzar, lies down on the floor, face to the ground in front of Daniel, and says, oh my God, I cannot believe you have done this. Your God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he worships before Daniel. And then this is what he does. He puts Daniel in charge of all those magi, those magicians, those astro- all those guys, right? Puts them in charge of all that. And that group, who we call the Magi, we call the wise men, 600 years later show up in Jerusalem and eventually make their way to Bethlehem. How did they know to go there? Matthew chapter 2. They're on their knees. We call them the wise men of Matthew chapter 2. 
they're there to worship Jesus Christ. How did they know to show up there? Because Daniel taught them to show up there. The book of Daniel is a fascinating book and confirms the power of God's Word. Now, like I said, you can't look at the first two chapters of Daniel and say, okay, I just do X, Y, and Z, and whammo, I'm going to be able to understand every single mystery that's before my life. However, everybody, there are clues. This is a mystery, and there are clues. Let's look at the clues. Clue number one is this. Daniel did his best to live in peace. Daniel did his best to live in peace. 1 Corinthians 7 says, God has called us to live in peace. God's called you. God has called me. God has called each one of us to be people who live in peace with other people. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Live at peace. Notice that, as far as it depends on you. For some of us, we're in a situation this morning, we're not at peace with somebody else living on this planet. We're not at peace. Now, here's the good news. As long as you have done everything that you can possibly do to live at peace with them, as long as you have done what you should do to live at peace with them, then you're fine. You're fine. But if there's something that you should do, something you haven't done, whatever, then you need to make sure you do it because you need to be a person of peace. You can't control how they're going to respond. You cannot control that. You can't make a peaceful situation between the two of you. All you can do is take care of your side of the table, your side of the coin. And that's exactly what it's saying here. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Proverbs 16, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Even Daniel, in Daniel's chapter 1 and 2. Now, he had problems with certain guys down the road, all right? He did have problems with people. But... Even his enemies, the Babylonians were his enemies. They came in and they took over his country. They hauled him away as a slave and as an exile. But you see in these first two chapters that even with his enemies, he finds peace with because he was a person who sought peace. He had a personality of peace. And here's the question that all of us have to answer and ask ourselves, am I a person who has a personality of peace? Or am I a person who has a prickly personality? Now, if you can't answer that question, just ask somebody who knows you and who knows you well. Am I a personality of peace or am I a prickly personality? You've got to actually want to receive the response when it comes back. And you can't lash out and claw them when they tell you the truth, all right? But which one are you? And it seems to me this is a very important clue that Daniel had a personality of peace, not a prickly personality. He had a personality of peace, which takes us to our second clue, which is so perfect, it just fits right in there with the first one. And that is this. Daniel took a stand under pressure. This is very important. Because sometimes we think, okay, if I'm going to be a person of peace, that just means, okay, whatever. I let everybody run over me. Uh, never stand up for what I think is right. Never express my opinion. Let everybody get their way, and there will always be peace. That's not what Daniel did. He was a person of peace, but he also took a stand for what was right and wrong. He stood up under pressure, sometimes very serious pressure. Think about this, everybody. They placed Daniel at this point in his life. He's a teenage boy, late in his teen. He's like 18 or 19. He's late teenage years. And his friends, late teenage years as well, okay? And they said, we've got all of this great food. Now, they just came from being just ransacked out of Jerusalem, right? They just take a, you, you don't eat well. Like when you're being taken over and somebody's taking you into you know, enslaving you, they're not giving you the best of the best food. And now Daniel finds himself, he is now in the palace. Man, oh man, luck has served him really, really well, right? He finds himself in the palace and his buddies do too. And now they're offered the best of the best. Nebuchadnezzar had the best chef in the land. And before these teenage boys, they put a whole entire table of food. 
Does anybody know any teenage boys who have a huge appetite? Right? Everything, almost everything said, go! Eat as much as you want. Full buffet. Have the best of the best food and have as much as you want. Almost everything. Except for one thing. God. God said you shouldn't eat it. Now, let me say one more thing about this. He has an opportunity that once he gets through this three years of school, everybody, and he goes to the interview with King Nebuchadnezzar, if he doesn't rock the boat, he gets a position in the palace, in the king's palace. He doesn't go out and dig ditches like the other exiles. He works in the king's palace. The last thing he wants to do is blow this situation, right? It's the last. Don't rock the boat. But God is shaking his head no. And God is saying this. God says that food that they're putting before you is not the best for you physically. Just your health. Flat out health. No spiritual stuff to it, whatever. Just for your health, it's not the best food for you. You should not eat it. But there's a second thing that God's shaking his head. God says that food has been sacrificed to idols. Now, how did Daniel know that? Daniel knew that because it's in the Bible. He had read it in the Bible. It should not eat this food. And so God is shaking his head. No, don't eat that food. It's not good for you. Would Daniel follow what God says? Here's the thing. All of us have decisions before us. And for some of us, there's a lot of pressure on us to say, yes, everybody else is eating and enjoying, right? Everybody else is eating and enjoying. Why shouldn't I eat and enjoy too? Except for one person. God is shaking his head. You know what? That's not the best for you. You shouldn't go that way. For some of us, we have a situation before us right now, right? If you can imagine a table in front of you with food and everything says that you should eat it except for God. And God's saying that you should push yourself away from the table and not eat that food. Where do you need to make a stand under pressure? Where do you need to make a stand under pressure? We all have pressure on us to give in and do certain things that God doesn't approve. Where do you need to make a stand under pressure? And go God's way instead of the world's way. Clue number three. Daniel had good sense. I mean, the man simply had good sense. Daniel 2.14 says, Daniel acted with wisdom and tact. The word tact there simply means good sense. You know what I find interesting? Daniel knew that God said, don't eat the food. Daniel knew, you know, these, this food has been sacrificed to idols. And God says, don't eat the food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat this food that's been sacrificed to demon gods. Daniel did not go to his supervisor and say, I'm not eating the demon burgers. Don't serve me Satan food. He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. The guy had good sense. He had sense enough to know that he should handle the situation differently. He should handle it with tact. And God gave him wisdom to do just that, which takes us to clue number four. Daniel wasn't afraid to put God's word to the test. Daniel was not afraid to put God's word to this. The Bible says that eating that particular kind of meat, sacrificed to idols, and the meat that they were offering was not in his best interest. God says a lot to us in his word about things that are in our best interest. We look around at our friends. We look on the TV. We look at all kinds of places. People doing all kinds of stuff. And we say, man, that looks like that's in my best interest. It feels like it's in my best interest. You know, like when I participate in certain things, X, Y, and Z, like eating the food off the king's table, boy, it sure does do my taste buds a lot of good. Man, it feels like it's best. And then God's up there shaking his head. No, it's not in your best interest. Long term, you want to think about this. You want to think about doing something. So here's what Daniel does. He says, you know what? Okay, God, your word says it. 
Everybody else is telling me something different. I've got the guts to stand up and put your word to the test. Is it real or isn't it real? A lot of times we get into these debates about God's word, which are all great. That's what we're doing in this foundations class coming up, so I'm all for that. But sometimes we get into the debate about God's word without ever really seeing if it works. Have the guts to actually test it out. God's word says a lot about gossip and unforgiveness and character and priorities and money and sex and all this stuff. So so many things. Put it to the test. See if it works. And Daniel was willing to do that. He puts it to the test. Says to them, okay, give us vegetables and water to eat for 10 days. And if at the end of 10 days we don't look better than everybody else who's eating the meat on the king's table, then bring on the demon burgers. We'll eat, we'll eat the demon burgers as long as the day goes. We'll put God, your word to the test. Does it work or doesn't work? And Daniel was willing to put God's word to the test, which I think is absolutely amazing. Fifth clue, Daniel stayed calm. In the midst of very intense situations, very frustrating situations, Daniel stayed calm. Isaiah chapter 7 says, be careful and keep calm. Psalm 23, what does that say? He leads me beside what kind of waters? Does anybody know what kind of waters God leads us beside? Still waters. Calm waters. Daniel stayed calm in the food crisis. And Daniel stayed calm as they were marching him off to those four trees to dismember him. He stayed calm. Some of us live our lives in a panic. And we're not even faced with situations like Daniel's being faced with. I mean, sometimes we just burn our toast and we're living lives in a panic. Right? It is going to be very difficult for us to understand the mysteries of life and to hear from God when God is trying to lead us beside the still waters and our waters are always panicked. Stay calm. One of the ways, one of the clues that we're going to hear from God and understand the mysteries that are before us is if we keep our head about us and we stay calm and don't live life in a panic. Final clue, clue number six. Daniel prayed with his friends. He prayed with his friends. The Bible has a lot to say about both prayer and about friendship. It says this about prayer. It says, be anxious about nothing but pray about everything. In James, it says, prayer is a powerful thing. What does it say about friends? It says that two are better than one. Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them in their midst. And here's the thing I want you to know about this. When you're praying about your mystery, whatever mystery it is you're trying to solve, you're trying to understand something, it's a great thing for you to pray by yourself. It's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing for you to pray. Oh, God, please, all by yourself. God, I need to know what it is. Well, I want to tell you is this. It is an even more powerful thing when you gather people around you, friends and family or whatever, and you say, here's the mystery I'm praying about, just like Daniel did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Gather, let's pray. It's an even more powerful thing when you gather people around you and you pray. Okay, we're going to have communion this morning and we're going to do a few things, a little twist. So I want to explain that for you. For those of you doing communion, you can come on up. Uh, for those in the band who are going to play, you guys can come up too. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the way we do communion if, you're, if it's your first time here and you've never seen us do communion before. There's going to be two people over here on this side and two people on this side. Uh, one person has the cup, the other person has the bread. And after I pray, uh, you are more than welcome, everybody is more than welcome, whenever you feel like it, to come right down this aisle to get the bread and the cup and to circle back around and find your seat and then to take it after your time of prayer whenever you want to take it. Same thing on this side. Get it, circle back around, sit down, and take the bread and the cup when you are ready. Communion is a serious time of self-examination.
What do we do in communion? What are we examining? We're examining, number one, our relationship with God. Am I right with God? Am I right with God? And number two, we're examining, am I right with other people? And the Bible says that if we don't make our own attempt to get right with God and get right with other people, like right here sitting in our seats and saying, okay, God, I need to talk to you about X, Y, and Z in our relationship, or God, you know, I got this issue with this person and I need to make it right. And unless we examine ourselves and we make it right, right in our seats and we make a determination that we're going to do certain things, that we shouldn't even take communion until we're willing to make those things right. That's how important it says it is. So I encourage you, I encourage you to do that. Now here's the twist for today. On your seat with these uh, three by five cards, you probably got one. And what I'd like you to consider doing, if you would like, you don't have to do this, but if you'd like to do this, write your mystery. Write whatever it is that sometimes keeps you up at night. Write your mystery on this three by five card. And when you come up or when you leave church, whatever you want to do, there's a yellow basket over there and there's a yellow basket over there. Drop it in the basket. The staff, we're going to gather all of those cards and this week, throughout this week, we're going to take these cards and we are going to pray with you as friends and family. We're going to lock arms with you through prayer and we're going to pray that God reveals the mystery to you. Pray that God helps you, gives you understanding of what's going on. There's pens. If you don't have a pen, there's pens at each one of these locations. But just drop it in there. You don't have to put your name. It makes no difference to us whatsoever. In addition to that, when you, if you are coming up for communion, uh, the prayer team is going to be here in the middle. If you want somebody to pray with you right now, we'll be here to pray with you. I want to say one last thing. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9 basically say this. It says, In Jesus Christ, the mystery of God's will is revealed. There are so many of us that are just wishing we understood the mystery of God's will. Oh God, if you would just tell me what to do, I would do it. We want to know what that is. What is God's will? Big stuff, small stuff, whatever it is. And Ephesians says that it's in Jesus Christ, the mystery of God's will. What is that saying to us? To be in Jesus Christ means that you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If you have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, make a commitment to Jesus Christ. That helps you. That gives you a much better shot at understanding the mystery of God's will according to God's word. For some of us, we've made that commitment already in our life at some point. We've already made that commitment. But as is the case, sometimes that commitment needs to be seriously renewed. It happens in my life all the time. Consider this morning during communion of either committing your life and asking Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life or renewing that commitment because it is in Christ the mystery of His will is revealed. I'm going to pray over the eating the bread and the drinking the cup and then invite you to come forward. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for every single person that's in this room this morning. There is nobody that's here by mistake. Every single person represented here this morning has some mystery, big or small. None of us have life completely figured out. None of us would have that much arrogance to say that we do. Father, we are just here and we're saying that we need help. Lord, I pray, God, whatever mysteries each one of us struggle with, wrestle with this morning... God, you would give us revelation from your throne and give us understanding. Help us to know what to do, Father. Jesus, I want to thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. You did all the work. 
You took all the pain and you offer us this gift, free gift. And all we have to do is receive it. God, as we examine our hearts and our lives before you and before others here today, as we think about our relationship with you and our relationship with others, Lord, help us to do whatever it is in our own way, in our own time, to make things right. Father, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup and all that it represents for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. In your holy name I ask. Amen.